Hello, Listen Stephen listeners, and welcome to the content warning. This show in general is explicit, and this episode in particular contains discussion of gore, vomiting, child abuse, and alcoholism. If any of these topics are triggering for you, you may want to give this episode a miss. Thanks, and we hope you enjoy the show. friends, and welcome to Listen Stephen, Stephen Listen, a Stephen King book review podcast. I am Margot. And I'm Lily. And this week is uh, Different Seasons, Parts 3 and 4, a.k.a. Fall from Innocence, a.k.a. The Body, a- and a Winter's Tale, a.k.a. The Breathing Method. Woohoo! It's the body and the breathing method. That's what we're doing. The, um, the body's not breathing. No. That's different. Don't it's get different. excited. The body's well, dead. the body, the body, no, the body does breathe, though. In the breathing method, the body breathes, but not in the body. <laughs> but in the body, it doesn't breathe. The body in the body is just the body. <laughs> just the body. It's fine. Mess. Anyway. Okay, here we go. This is personal reactions time. That's what we do now. Yeah. Um, this is, as I said in part one, uh, if you were with us, you've heard this before, and if you weren't, then congratulations, this is new to you. Um, this is not the first time I've read either of these stories. I first read this collection when I was in high school, because um, I remember reading it when I was supposed to be learning music theory, um, or at least in the pauses in music theory class. Uh, and. As these things tend to go, um, as I read Stephen King stories that involve growing up, um, and I read them, like, again as I grow up, they sort of start to mess with me more and more, um, and they have a resonance that I didn't really understand when I read them when I was younger, because I was reading them, like, around the age bracket that the kids were, and then as I age, I'm reading it around the age bracket where like, the adults who are writing about it or talking about it or whatever are. Um, So my perspective becomes to be more in line with them, and therefore I understand more of, like, the sadness and the sweetness and the nostalgia and all of that stuff. So the first time I read this, I was like, okay, this is meditative, whatever. Also, the first time I read this, I was like, they just go and look at a body (laughs) and, and, like, fine. And this time I have more of an appreciation for, like why they're doing it and stuff. And then the breathing method, I think I I liked it when I first read it, but reading this again, like, it's very, it's like a, it's very, like, gothic. Um, it really is, so the, the subtitle is called A Winter's Tale, and, like, it very much has the feeling of, like, gather around the fire and I'll tell you a spooky story, but in this very, like, cool way, I think it owes a lot to, like, gothic romance, like, capital R romance. Mm-hmm. Um and, uh, and like, the capital R romantics, Byron and Keats and all of those. So, yeah, and I think I appreciated the spookiness of it a lot more this time and sort of enjoyed it for what it is, which is, like, a dude telling us, I'm going to tell you a story about the time that I heard a story. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I thought I liked it. Anyway, what about you? Uh, love the body. I loved the stand when I was younger. Uh, mm-hmm. sorry. Stand by me? Yeah, I loved Stand 
Stand By Me, it was one of the few movies that my dad really loved. Like, Stand By Me was like cinema for that old dude. <laughs> this small town electrician. Stand By Me, man, that was the height of film. Which it is a good movie. It's a good it movie. Is. It's just, it's very funny how many times we would watch it together. And it was mm-hmm. always on cable. My god, did they put that on cable all the time. Uh, edited versions. Mm-hmm. Right? Usually yeah. the whole leech thing would not be on TV. Ugh. For good reason. Uh, yeah. But so I remember really liking it, and I read the short story, and I remember being like, yeah, I'm into it. Except for, I remember it vividly, I was like, well, there's just the whole thing. They're going through a bunch of misadventures. Shitty things keep happening on this journey. And I was like, that sucks, but, like, they had to. And then there's a part in it where they're like, I mean, sure, we could have just gone up the road and hitched a ride to where the body is. But that wouldn't have been an adventure. And I remember being pissed. Because I was like, are you (laughs) telling me you could have seen the body yesterday? Like, I, I didn't grasp the importance of the journey. I was like, if you're trying to see a dead body, you've got to get to it as fast as possible. Why are you wasting all this time? It's the destination, <laughs> not the journey. <laughs> when it comes you to assholes. a dead body, yeah. You gotta get there. And they keep almost dying. I was like, well, I thought there was no other option. But you're telling me you could have just safely pitched a ride? Sorry, excuse me as I apply my arnica. My You're fine. Aching body. It's fine. And uh, reading I'm again. I'm five years old, and my body parts have started creaking. Like, what the fuck? Oh god, I don't know, man. I can't help you there. I took Advil a second. I woke up this morning. <laughs> anyway, anyway, uh, as an adult, I also frustrated with them. Why didn't they just? But I also was a kid in a rural enough area that seeing a dead body was like quite a big deal. Mm-hmm. Like, I remember vividly as a child, one of the neighborhood kids, I was, like, out in the front lawn, mm-hmm. hanging out. I didn't really talk to the neighborhood kids, because I was an asshole, and I was shy, and anyway, they were like, hey, <laughs> this guy died, do you want to come see it? And I was like, yes. And so I ran, I was Hell yes. eight, around eight. And I was like, yeah. <laughs> and we ran. And it was like, some guy in his backyard had an accident. I don't know what happened. Mm. I never got any answers. But by the time I got there, he was already, like, in the ambulance. Yeah, it was an ambulance. But no lights were on. That's, I, the guy told me, the, like, 13-year-old neighborhood boy was like, that's how you know he's dead. And I think oh, of that man. every single time I see an ambulance without the lights on. Here's the thing. Here's, here's... The thing for you to know, Lily, is that ambulances do not just transport people in emergencies, and there are crews of ambulances that just, like, pick people up and take them yeah. to dialysis and, like, it medical treatments be and stuff. not an emergency, but the lights are off. Yeah. Like, that happens all the time. You when they do get called in, you can be like, this is mm-hmm. not, it's fine, it's not urgent, I'm good. Mm-hmm. And they'll just be like, okay, mm-hmm. well, we won't fuck up traffic and potentially cause car accidents then. Like, it makes perfect sense, but as a kid, I was like, whoa, <laughs> this kid's so smart. Oh, my God. You reminded me of um, the episode of, I don't know if y'all have been watching Dairy Girls, but, like, get on that if you haven't. Like, Love get your it. life in order. But the episode that starts with a wedding and then the, like, the nonsense. In- 
hijinks ensue, and then there's a funeral. And all of the, like, Irish Catholic girls are at the funeral, like, standing around the corpse of the woman and, like, talking about how her, like, her outfit and everything and that she looks nice. Um, And then the Protestant English boy is like, it's a body. And they're like, what, you've never seen a body before? (laughs) Yeah. Like, that's the thing. It's like, everyone I knew had seen a body. I wanted to see one. Mm -hmm. Not, like... It wasn't an all-encompassing need. I didn't wake up every day. Mm-hmm. But when the opportunity like, arose... You were like, yeah, let's go look at this body. Because that was... I don't think I went to my first funeral until I was mm-hmm. 12. So, like, I hadn't... You... I hadn't seen one. <laughs> IRL. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I remember, like, reading it being like, I get it. <laughs> I get the main driving focus. And as an adult, I'm like... Guys, you should have just hitched a ride. You don't need to go through this adventure. But I get it. It's about growing up. Um, mm. I think the other story, I definitely would have read because I had the whole thing. They come together. Mm. I would have read it. Yes. I think I just thought it was boring and I don't remember it at all. <laughs> Which, nice. like, yeah, if I was young reading this, it would have been boring. Mm. Like, Probably. Not yeah, a ton right. happens. A lot of it is just like this guy's going to a club, and I was like, like a club. I grew up privileged in that I didn't know what country clubs were until later in life. <laughs> I was lucky enough to not know about like gentlemen's clubs or country clubs. See, I grew up <laughs> the privilege that goes to country clubs. I am such a wasp. Yeah, Good so you would have gotten it, but I was like, what club? <laughs> And I was like, oh, mm-hmm. like a book club? It seems like a book club. This is a book club. I mean... I mean, he's just reading books there. They sit around and talk about stories. Most uh, of the time he just uh, shows up, reads a book, and then goes home. Yeah. But, uh, you know, they are both more interesting as an adult, I would say. Mm-hmm. All right, let's uh, crack... <laughs> I guess we should say a little bit about historical context i mean we've already done this in part one so we don't need this to be a recap but it's 1982 uh it's a terrible time countries in recession chicago tylenol murders happened children were getting Mm -hmm. kidnapped left and right people were starting to realize like we should keep an eye on these kids (laughs) and i think it's something that's echoed there's a part in the body where like older gordy's talking he's like nowadays None of this would have happened. <laughs> but back Pretty then, much, we yeah. just let the kids fucking go. And it's like, yeah, mm-hmm. that's a good thing. That that would be a plus. That we don't yeah. just let children disappear by themselves for three days. Because that's, that's how... That's good. That's how Ray Brower <laughs> bought the farm, so... They were just like, oh, I just sent him out to the woods. It's fine. It's fine. Whatever. No, he'll be fine. Our kids, what can they get into? Uh, anyway. Death. Um, there we go. It's, yeah, it's the 80s. Everything is terrible um Stephen King's had his intervention I think he wrote these stories not like he didn't he didn't write them all together he wrote them at different times he loves short stories he loves talking about tv miniseries he's a big fan of publishing these uh this was also around the time I think he mentions in the afterword that he had published a bunch of horror books and his publisher was like you're gonna get known as like the horror guy and he was like whatever um Great. so publishing all of these together was a chance for like some of his different work to get out there because he's fine being known as the horror person but it is also not all that he writes so i guess that's it yeah 
Sure. These two stories are interesting in that they both have a framing device where there's, like, someone talking about them after the fact. Mm-hmm. Um, and in this instance, the main character is the one, the narrator in the frame story is the one who this actually happened to. It's not the case in The Breathing Method, but whatever. It is the case here. So we open in the good town of Castle Rock, Maine, and it's 1960, and there's four 12-year-old boys, our narrator, Gordy Lachance, and then three others, uh, Chris, Teddy, and Vern. And Vern comes running along and is like, oh my god, guys, I was hiding under my porch looking for that jar of pennies that I buried that my brother totally found out about and stole, but I don't believe that, and I think I just forgot where it is. Um, So I was digging for my pennies under my porch, as I do, and I found out that there was this body, uh, this kid who was, like, our age, disappeared while blueberry picking, and now he's, like, dead in somewhere in the woods. Let's go and find it. Y'all want to see a dead body? (laughs) And everyone's like, hell yeah! Like, pretty much. And everyone's like, hell yeah, let's go look at a dead body, it'll be fun. And of course, they all have some sort of damage. Um, yeah, they of are the psychological and physical variety. Actually, these are sad boys. They really are. Yeah, this is like, yeah, nineteen sixties childhood sad boy hours. <laughs> so, uh, Gordy, of course, um, this is a Stephen King book. And uh, there's an older brother who was tragically killed in an accident, uh, and Gordy is the unfavorite uh, who is left alive. Mm-hmm. Um, and he, like, kind of always was in his, young, his older brother's shadow, but since his brother has died, he's, like, pretty much completely disappeared. Like, there are times when they're sitting at the dinner table and he'll ask them to pass the damn potatoes or whatever, and his parents are just like, did you say something? Y'all hear something? So that sucks. Yeah, did I hear something? Uh, So that sucks a lot. And he also, like, feels very weird about his brother's death because he's like, I didn't really, like, know him. He was a lot older than me, but, like, I still... Yeah, they were... still in my life. I still cared about him. We still did stuff together. Like, it's weird. Yeah, they were ten years apart, which is a pretty big... Especially because he's only 12 now. That's very And this happened... When did this happen? Uh, it was, was in this... April of that year, so it's okay. about to be Labor Day when this story takes place, and in April, mm-hmm. his brother died. So it's been very yeah. recent, so everyone's still reeling. Ice. Chris, the saddest and most darling of all of the boys, uh, is abused by his father and multiple of his brothers? At least one of his brothers. At least by the one... Nickname. That is not in prison. Yes, at least one that is not in prison. Um, And then everyone else in town, including the teachers, is like, oh, you come from a trash family, your father is a sack of shit, your brothers are also garbage, so clearly you are a trash boy. Yeah. But he's not. He's not. He's a good boy. He's the goodest of boys. We'll get into it. Teddy's dad... God, fucking Teddy. Okay, yeah, Teddy's Jesus. dad is a mess. Uh, his Teddy is a mess because his dad is a mess, and 
Anyway, um, so his dad came home from World War II with a whole bundle of PTSD um, and, among other things, uh, held both of Teddy's ears against a hot stove um, and then after that had to be taken away to a sanitarium. Teddy has terrible eyesight and, of course, can't exactly hear well with horribly burned ears. but also absolutely loves his father and thinks that he was an amazing hero and won't hear a word against him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Vern is the last of our four musketeers and uh, is also harassed by his older brother, Ace, right? No. 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 Billy um, is his older Billy. brother. Ace Billy, is Billy's friend. That's right. These are all such like teenage boys in the 60 name. Uh, Vern also hates his brother, and this is why he doesn't want to admit that Billy probably found his jar of pennies. Um, yeah. Because he doesn't want to think that, like, he was outsmarted. But, uh... Also, Vern and Teddy are both canonically kind of dumb. Yeah. They're just, they're like, simple Like, Gordy boys. explicitly says, like, they're just, there's not a lot going on there. Which is fine. Just yeah. a note. Teddy, yeah. They're, they're like, so it's like, it's kind of, it's like, Gordy and Chris... Chris is, like, also very smart, and he's the toughest, and just, like, such a sad boy. Um, he's, like, Chris's perpetual sad boy hours. Like, it really is always sad boy hours in Chris's life. Um, Gordy is smart, and he's a writer, and he makes up all these stories. Teddy just has a death wish, and Vern's, Vern, <laughs> Vern is there. The post that will no longer be the meme format by the time this episode comes out, but, like, they're all equal. <laughs> Gordy is a writer. Chris is smart. Teddy wants to die. Vern is there. (laughs) He is present in this narrative. He Uh, is certainly present. He brings them to the so pretty good. Yeah, he is pretty good. He is the one who, yeah, like, makes the plot happen. So they all decide to go and find this body and they do the age old like okay you tell your parents that you're at my house and I'll tell them I'm at your house and we'll just hope that at no point do our parents actually talk to each other Um, which considering all of their assorted miserable home lives uh, is a fair assumption to make and does in fact work out anyway and then they're like okay let's go walk into the wilderness along the train tracks and go looking we're gonna go see a body um none of the packs food chris yeah. is all decked out he's got his boy scout canteen and his boy scout pack and they're like going along and they're like huh did anyone uh pack food <laughs> Yeah, it's, I mean, it's very, like, short-sighted teenage boys. Did they even bring any, like, they didn't have anything to, like, Vern has a tent, but they leave it in Vern's yeah. yard they so just bring that blankets. the parents will think that they're all in Vern's tent. Yeah, so they're just bringing blankets. Um, That's all. Chris brings a gun. Not yeah, helpful. Like, as you do. Well, it turns out to be helpful. But anyway, they walk across this, like, train trestle, and they're like, I think we could make it before the train comes, and we all die. Spoilers, uh, they don't make it before the train comes, but they all manage to narrowly avoid dying. Incredibly stressful scene. Uh, the movie stressful. really does it justice. I sweat every single time. Mm-hmm. Sweat. They, like, barely jump out of the way. It's a whole... Nightmare. Um, it's fine. They survive. They so do it. It's cool. They survive. It's cool. They're still walking along. Gordy, Gordy 
like everyone is like, hey, Gordy, tell us a story. And then Gordy, or actually, Chris is like, you should tell them the story. It's like, it's a really good one. Gordy's like, no, I don't want to tell it. It's dumb. I don't like it. Um, and Chris supports and then, his art, so he makes them Chris tell supports it. his dreams. Yeah. And so it's a story about, it's called The Revenge of Lardass Hogan, um, which is a story about a pie eating contest where this, like, fat kid who is always made fun of decides that he's going to enter the pie eating contest and get his revenge on the town by humiliating everybody. Um, so he, like, drinks a bottle of castor oil before the contest comes, like, absolutely chows the fuck down on blueberry pies, and then throws up in the contest, and that creates a huge chain of vomit, and the entire town throws up. And then everyone is, like, mad at Gordy when he finishes the story because they're like, and then what happened? And he's like, I don't know, that's it. When you don't know what happened next, the story's over. And he's like, I mean, he went back to school and everyone probably still called him lardass and, like, made fun of him and it's fine. He just, like, did this one thing and everyone's like, that's stupid! And he was like, see, that's why I didn't want to tell the story! <laughs> like, no, you wouldn't like it. And then Chris is like has a has a man to man aside chat with him and is like, hey, don't listen to them. Like, they don't know anything. Like, you you need to like you need to stop being friends with us next year. Like, you have to choose between the college classes and the shop classes. And like, you're really smart and you can do something. And like, Vern and Teddy are just gonna drag you down. And then Gordy is like, but dude, you're also really smart. You can come with me. And then Chris reveals that like. Not only does everyone in the town think that he's doomed to do horrible things, but also, like, at one point, he was blamed for stealing, like, the... What was it? Stealing what money in the class? It's the milk money. Stealing yeah. the milk money. And then he's like, yeah, I stole it, but maybe I tried to give it back. And then maybe the teacher took it from me and still blamed me for it and then showed up to school with a new skirt. And, like, I still got in trouble. Like, I'm not going to make it. There's nothing I can do. So, that's depressing. It's um, a fucking bummer. Really horrible. Um, yeah, and Gordy, like, really loves Chris. Like, they are besties. They are bros. And, like, we will talk about it. Um, put a put a pin in it. We'll come back there. But, um, yeah, so he has, like, this really serious heart-to-heart. And even Gordy in the narrative is, like, it seems weird that, like, this 12-year-old was having this, like, serious conversation with me, but, like, that's what happened, and we cared for each other, and it was a whole thing. Um, so they keep going in another horrible scene that is in the film um, and also done really well in the film. They decide to go swimming because it looks real pretty, and then they get covered in leeches, Ugh. including one on Gordy's balls. Ugh. And he's like, Chris, Which, you like, gotta help me. And Chris is like, you gotta do this like, on your own, man. <laughs> Yeah, like, I'm not fucking helping you with this. Um, so he, and of course, like, he brushes it off, but it's been there for, like, such a long time that it fucking, like, bursts. Oh. It's so horrible. Oh, and then he passes out, and everyone's like, it's cool, man, we just won't ever talk about this again. Yeah, we will literally never talk about this again. Um, uh, yeah, and, and Gordy mentions, like, it came back to me at certain points in my life, and I just had to be like, no, it was just, it reminded me of something else anyway. Don't worry about it, guys. Don't worry about it. I would not blame him for thinking that. So finally, they get to the dead body, and then it's like, horrible. Sort of, and it's yeah, and it's this. This is like this is just a misery tour. Like everything is terrible. Like they've uh, anyway. So just as they get to the dead body, um, they realize that like he's like us, and he's a corpse, and this is like a real and serious thing. 
he's dead and we're gonna die someday. And then, cause it simply can get worse. Vern's older brother and like his whole gang of people show up. So Vern's older brother, Chris's older brother by the nickname of Eyeball, um, Ace Merrill, all of this stuff, they show up and then they have this like argument over who's gonna say that they found the body and like, it's an argument which is very age appropriate and also hilarious where they're like, I have dibs on the body. No, you gave up your dibs. Vern heard you when he was underneath the porch looking for his penny jar. Like, <laughs> he's ours. Like, we have dibs. And then Chris, like, brings out his gun that he has <laughs> and is like, hey, Ace, do you want me to shoot you in the leg or the arm? But, like, I'll do it. And Ace is like, uh, this guy will actually shoot me. Maybe we should just yeah. Maybe we should just... But we'll, we'll beat you up later, guys. Yeah. Like, we're gonna get you for this later, but, like, you won right now. So the group is like, we should bring home the body! Wait, no, that's dumb! And also really difficult, and the cops might think that we had something to do with it, so let's just go home. The parents didn't notice anything, because uh, why would they? The d- older boys do end up, like getting their revenge by beating the shit out of them, like, all separately. I think Gordy and Chris get it the worst. Um, Yeah. And then it goes into, like, what happens afterwards and sort of takes us up to the present, wherein Gordy is an author, and, like, that's what he's... He's writing this from his perspective of being an author. Um, So Teddy and Vern end up sort of, like, drifting into nothingness. They do take the shop classes, but Chris decides to take the college classes. Um with Gordy and so they like and he like works so hard and constantly and like absolutely kills himself and like the his old man like rags on him more because he thinks that he's like oh you think that you're better than me you think you're gonna like go off and I'm gonna pay for your fucking college you Nancy boy and then like the teachers think that Chris like isn't serious and like can't make it and doesn't deserve good things or to get out of this life because his he's like from a trash family and um but like Chris and Gordy are just like making it through and so they go off to college they don't see each other and then we find out that everybody (laughs) dies yeah so now um Gordon is 34 he's 34 and three of his childhood friends are dead. Indeed. And so Vern died in a fire. Um, Teddy died in a car crash when he was driving drunk and took a bunch of people with him. Um, and then Chris made it to grad school. Uh, he, he went, he was working on becoming a lawyer and he got stabbed trying to stop a fight in a restaurant. Um, so now Gordy is successful and all his friends are dead and he like saw ace the other day hanging out at a bar like he always did and uh like the end yep that's like the whole thing he's like well my childhood friends are dead but that guy that beat me up once when i was a kid he looks miserable so the end the first thing i want to talk about is that Gordy repeatedly tells us that he is a very straight man and 
that Chris was just his very good friend and explicitly says, does it sound like we went F slur? <laughs> because he says, like, what, we both dated, but no girl ever came between us? Like, does it sound like okay? we went, uh? Fellas, like, is, is it okay to like, maintain a friendship? I, well, here's the thing. is like, is it okay to maintain, like, no, but I'm also just, the fact that he's like, well, like, I, I don't know. But they never came between us. No homo. And it's like, yeah, okay, like, man. no homo. And it's like, no one would have thought a, it was weird. A, you, you could have just been friends. And B, the fact that you explicitly said, like, but we weren't gay is like, I think you protest too much. Also, if you've been listening to this podcast for a while, you know that I just love reading homosexual subtext into everything. And, like, I hate to break it to you, Gordy, but. You and Chris are absolutely in love. Yeah. Like, this goes beyond, like, it could just be a friendship, theoretically, but, like, like it is possible for people to just have really good close childhood friends, but, like, the bond between you and Chris absolutely goes into, like, love. Like, romantic love. Yeah. They were incredibly close. Sharing, like, this is like a childhood sweethearts situation. The amount of times Gordy's just like, Chris was so tough. I think he was tougher than anyone else in our year. Yeah, and, like, he always, like, he worked so hard, and, like... He was the best at calming people down. And, like, watching him struggle broke my heart, and, like, oh, I just wanted to be there for him, and I couldn't believe that, like, everyone was so set against him, and it's just like, dude... But there's also a very funny part where Chris is like, I wish to fuck I was your father. (laughs) Oh, yeah. <laughs> when he's doing the man-to-man talk, and he's like, listen, yeah. I know you're just a kid. And Gordy's like, thanks, Dad. He's like, I wish I was your dad, because if I was your dad, I would take care of you. Exactly, which is just, like, it's so... I would take care of you, because your parents can. Oh, my God. It's just very, like, catch-me-over-here, like, in the stand-by-me AO3 tag, like, reading all of the angst fix. He's such a nice guy, and he's worked so yes. hard. And then he gets stabbed to death in a chicken delight. For, and it's also for him, he says, Chris, who had always been the best at making peace. Like, he was stepping in, trying to de-escalate and make things right, and then he gets murdered. Yeah. He's like, yeah, the guy had just been released from prison. (laughs) Never should have been out. Uh Just released from Shawshank prison. Yeah, from Shawshank. Ooh. Sprinkle that in. Mm-hmm. Anyway. There were a lot of references to other people. Yeah. Also, story. Ace Merrill will show up again. Um, he's, like, all over needful things. He's up in there. Um, they he's also mention all up in there. Cujo. Yes, they do. And um, Evie uh, Chalmers. Yes. Oh, my fave. She still finds him after he gets beaten up, right? And is like, yeah, She's and like, tells him that his balls up. are going to swell up to the size of mason jars. Here, have this coffee that's, like, mostly brandy. <laughs> yeah, that's... I love... when That was another part I loved about Chris, is that his father's violent alcoholic, both of his brothers are fuck-ups. And even though mm-hmm. they're, like, 12-year-old boys, he will, like, sneak beer into the treehouse, and he's like, uh-huh. I absolutely will not drink. Yeah, I will not fucking do that. I'm not doing that. And everyone's, like, making fun of him. He's like, you guys can go fuck yourself. Yeah, like... 
Yeah, I don't I care. Just, I let he's so like self possessed for a twelve I year know. old. He's so I'm like, oh it makes me so sad. Like, oh anyway. Chris is very, very good. I really loved his character. Um, yeah, I love Chris a whole lot. It's very, very, very sad. Gordy was okay. Yeah, like, fine. Whatever. I can take or leave him. But, like, Chris is, in my mind, Chris is the real tragedy here. Like, I know we joke a lot about, like, Stephen King's stand-in characters. In oh, this, works, is, this one this is, is, like, the fucking worst one. This is... Yeah. Like, he follows... He follows the trajectory, like... It's like, he wrote one book, and then it got made into a movie, and it was popular. Then he made another book, and it got made into a movie, and it was popular. And he writes scary stories, and... And it's like, jeez. Now, (laughs) whomst does that remind us of? Yeah, and it's like, Yeah, so it's hard for me to... He has a wife and three children. (laughs) It's fine. Anyway. It's the worst Stephen King stand-in of them all. Um, I to think the point where Bill Denbro people... may give us a run for his money, but we're, we're not reading the Dark Tower series, but uh, it would be interesting to react to the literal Stephen King character in the later Dark Tower books. But until we get there, this is the most egregious one. That's why we can't read that, because I'll just black yeah. out. <laughs> Stephen, we get it. It's you. We get it. But hopefully not really you. I hope you didn't see a body when you were young. Mm-hmm. That would make sense. I like that they made it clear that, like, no, I was always into that kind of stuff. Just constantly mm-hmm. for my whole life. It wasn't because I saw the body. I just, I yeah. was always into that. I don't know why the Stud City story is in here. The, yeah. yeah. So there's a section which is just a story published that's like, so it's, it's in, it's within, it's, <laughs> words. Um, there's a section where uh, Gordy is like talking about Dennis, his brother's death and then he like dreams that he describes this nightmare that he had and then there's an excerpt there's like a short story which is something that like it's it's framed in the narrative as like it's something that Gordy wrote like when he was uh, like just getting started as a writer it's like a short story and it's like, I don't know why it's here. I guess it's here. It's Okay, so it's here because it's, um, it's about, like, it's, it, there's, like, there's a bunch of nested stuff going on. So, like, Gordy is a writer, and he lost his brother, Dennis. And so Gordy, who is fictional, writes a story about a fictional character who's dealing with, like, his older brother dying, and all of that stuff. And so it's like Stephen King's attempt to write his character dealing with the grief of his older brother's death by writing a story about a character dealing with the grief of his older brother's death. And it's just like kind of tiresomely meta for my tastes. Yeah. I think it's like it's like kind of interesting to have the device of a fictional character trying to grapple with like a fictional trying to grapple with grief through fiction. But it's also like I don't I don't think we need it. Maybe like if you wanted to talk about like and what do you think? I'm I'm fine with Well, first of all, I did find it a little uh confusing. So like the section ends where he's like dreaming about, you know, his brother's death or whatever. Uh-huh. And then suddenly it goes to this story and there's no 
introduction or anything. So like this, mm-hmm. it's only explained this right and like the Lardass Hogan story of the two stories we get. And the second mm-hmm. one, like he starts to tell the story out loud, and then it transitions into like the printed version of the story. And that yeah. one I think makes perfect sense. And I, you know, I knew what was going on. Mm-hmm. But I, for a second, was like, wait, why? Are, why are we doing this? And I still don't know why we did it here. I find the whole thing a little confusing. It's definitely a story about, like, if Gordon was a real person and he wrote this, I would be like, oh, this boy has, like, some pretty severe parental trauma and has very strange feelings towards his parents. Uh, There's, like, some, like, weird sexual trauma in here. Which, like... Gordy the character then even says, like, there's a lot of weird sex stuff in there. Yeah, he's like, the attitude towards women is, uh, awful. Fucked up. Really bad, yeah. It's like, either they're sluts or they're just, like, sex receptacles. And it's like, yeah. it's very interesting you say that, Stephen. Uh, fix it. But, I, it is very strange. There's the part where he, she just, like, lays on the bed and he's like, can I look at you? And she's like, okay. And then she's like, this feels funny. And, like, mm. she's she's really into it. And it's just her laying naked on the bed just hanging out. Mm-hmm. And, like, uh, the fear of being known, I think, is something that I see a lot in this whole... In the entirety of the body. Oh, absolutely. It's like, this... Not just the terror of being known, but attempting to be known and being understood. Like, misunderstood. That's and not what, being um... able to explain yourself and to like actually be known when you submit to the vulnerability of trying to be known and so like it's also here in this story where it's i'd be like this guy is terrified Mm -hmm. of being known yeah that's also um the thing that the the first sentence of the story that constantly comes back is the most important things are the hardest things to say yeah um so there's this idea of, like, trying to express these, like, deep truths and form connections and, and do something meaningful and being, like, unable to, like, trying desperately to communicate that and being unable to do it. The story kind of works for me in terms of, like, the, the thematic work that it's doing and showing, and I do think it is kind of an interesting exercise to have, like, the fictional character that you're writing, like, to demonstrate how he's wrestling with his demons through his art, because um, I think that's, like, a very common thing that everybody does, uh, so it's, but I also think that, like, it's not really necessary, and I don't know that it adds that much, like, it was neat, it's fine, whatever, but, like, I don't think you gotta. I just, I find it very interesting in this story, like, he definitely Chico. Like, I'm trying to think if it does, if it does any, Ed like... Chico. I don't want to call him Absolutely. Ed. We'll call him uh, Ed. Ed, like, very clearly blames his parents for his brother's death. Uh-huh. Um, but it's interesting because we don't really get a lot of that in Gordon's narrative when he talks about his brother's death. It's all kind of, like, yeah. it's very detached and he's not really worried about it, but... And it's the same kind of thing where it's both of them. But he also has, like, disturbing nightmares about it. Yeah. Which is interesting. But it's interesting because, like, in this story, there's this weird implication. I don't know. There's this weird thing where it's, like, the stepmother Virginia is definitely doing something to the older brother. 
it could just be that she's a huge bitch, but also, uh, there's, like, some weird sexual implications. Mm, yeah. Where, like, he talks about how Johnny would be home alone with Virginia, and the walls were really thin, and Ed would be in the next room. And previously, yeah. he had used the walls were thin thing to talk about his dad and his stepmother having sex. Mm-hmm. So it's, anyway, it's fine. But <laughs> there's that implication, and then, like, that's why he went to work at the place he went to work so he could avoid her and that's where he died is at his place of work and so it's the idea that like he was trying to escape her and if it weren't for her he would have had a different job and he would still be alive and Gordon's older brother went to the army so then there's like this idea of it's like well did Gordon's parents drive his older like Denny to the army like they mm-hmm. seem very into him like, they loved him, they were proud of him, Yeah, they were really excited for him. Could have joined the army to, like, escape. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I don't- I didn't have parents who were really into me and proud of me, so I don't know if that's hard. But, <laughs> I know a lot of boys at this time were like, of course I'll join the army. That's the right thing to do. It's just what a man does. He joins the army. Uh, so it could just be completely innocent, and that's how I read it, but then, like, this story comes along, and I'm like, well, there's something kind of nasty, like, a nasty implication in this older brother getting this job to take him away from home and dying, so should I then try to use this to read into Gordon's situation? Because in the narrative, Gordon's the one who wrote this. But actually, it's it's just Stephen writing the whole thing, and, like, maybe he just Indeed. was, like, this seems like the kind of, like, juicy, shocking story a young man would write. It's one of his first attempts at writing. Yeah, I do enjoy that, like, Gordy afterwards says, it ought to have, this is a product of an undergraduate creative writing workshop stamped on every page. And that's also something that's interesting to me is, like, did we need to... I When I first read it, like, now that we're talking about it, I think I'm finding more interesting things in it than I did when I was just reading it. But when I was reading it, I was like, okay, fine, this feels like self-indulgent, like, nonsense. Yeah. On the part of Stephen. Because, like, if it's included, it must be important, right? But I'm trying to figure out what sort of unique insights it gives into Gordy, and I think it's just, like, he wants to be a writer, he didn't write that good at the start, and he has a lot of weird bullshit mixed up with his brother's death and maybe some sexual trauma, which is... Yeah. We didn't know the sexual trauma part, but we certainly knew all the family bullshit, so, like, I don't really know if we need it. Also, like, I loved Gordon's in-story explanation of, like, why he thinks it's bad, and it's, like oh, the style is too Hemingway and the theme is too Faulkner. Could it be more serious, more literary? And it's like, well, those aren't the things that make this bad. (laughs) Also, I don't think that the tone is Hemingway and the subject is Faulkner. Like, I don't know. Yeah, I think uh, this might be... Actually, yeah, this is a pretty realistic of an early undergrad thinking the writing in, like, a Hemingway style. Yeah, that's what it is. But it's, like, not at all. And I guess, like, theme by Faulkner, he's referring to, like, the obsession and, like, the maybe incest. I don't know. I'm not a huge Faulkner fan, so I'm, like, not what to say, but I'm pretty sure Faulkner had a little bit more going on than that. Yeah, and it's very, like, 
it is it is very like an undergraduate dude in a writing workshop would write this and then be like and then look at it afterwards and be like oh I was just like going too hard into the Hemingway impression and it's like no you were just writing badly did he mean that it's in the like hyper masculine main character I don't know because certainly this is a hyper masculine main character who like wears boots yeah. and smokes cigarettes and doesn't care and he, like the and woman's super like fucks. I love you and he's like cool cool babe that's nice hey we're buddies right but also i just i do want to say that despite all his faults uh hemingway's writing was good and this isn't so you missed the mark (laughs) you both have some flaws you got that right uh i'm sure uh, hemingway would also have similar things to say about you and chris's relationship but you know you know. Beyond that, the similarities kind of disappear because uh, if he wrote the story, it would probably be better. But it wouldn't be good because it's a bad story. But. Yeah. Anyway, but it's just kind of like, um, what's the point? Why is it here? As someone who lost a brother and took an undergraduate writing workshop, I wrote a bad story about losing a brother yeah. in that creative writing workshop. We all it made happens. bad We've art all about it. loss. <laughs> That's okay. Listen, you do it. Who it's normal. It's the fine. only way you can eventually make good art about loss. First, you have exactly. to make bad art. That's fine. And he's like, this story sucks, but I love it because it was the first story that like felt like mine. And it's like, that's cool, man. Like, that's, that's valid. Cool. I see but why like, you keep it around, but why do we have it right now in this narrative? And then he's like, this is the first story I never showed to my mother and father. There was too much Denny in it too much castle rock it's like there wasn't too much sex and weirdness and misogyny in it yeah your parents would have been cool with that but anyway not that any part also you know whose stories i would love to read i want to read chris's stories i bet that he has great stories and you know why because he's too busy learning stuff for the first time to care about trying to be good and that's i think the way that you would get something really good yeah he's at a shitty fucking time Exactly, but he's, like, such things. a gentle and good and strong soul. Like, I think that Chris has some fascinating art inside of him. God, I wish he wasn't dead so I could marry him. Also, he's fictional. Also, I don't want to marry him. <laughs> like, if I met him, I wouldn't be into it. No. Uh, it's just, but just it's very like, interesting that he, like, makes sure at the end of the story to be, like, oh, this has a lot of, like, Denny and Castle Rock and, like, this time period in it. But it's like, is that why you brought it up? So I feel like I'm supposed to connect it back to the the narrative. But I don't. But I, I can't. I don't see where it's going. What's yeah. the point? What is the point? Honestly, though, like, the story he writes about Lardass Hogan was yeah, better than this college story that he wrote. It is. It absolutely is. Like, the Lardass story, honestly, is hilarious. Like, it's great. It fucking slaps. Like, it really does. Sound of that vomit slapping on the floor. Oh. <laughs> Yay. Ugh. Ugh. Let's Gross. just do that. Let's just talk about that story for the rest of the whole episode. I don't think we need Listen, anything else. It was a great time. Okay. Really good. Also, like, the narrative, the way that it was set up is, like, he talks about, brings, like, gives you the background on the pie-eating contest, and then he explains Lardass, and then he goes into, and then he's like, this is the start of the contest, and, like, 
like, it looks like Lardass is going to win. He's going to be awesome. He's going to do it. And he's like, aha, but there's an empty bottle in Lardass Hogan's house. Because earlier today, he had done, and then, like, this reveal of what the plan actually is, and then, like, how it happens and stuff. I don't know. It's really good. It is. It's a great story. I also enjoy that afterwards his friends are like, what happened? And he's like, I don't know, he, like, went back to school and got made fun of all the time. Yeah. And they're like, like, yeah, probably, man. What? That fucking sucks. And then Chris is like, they just don't get it because they don't know that life sucks. (laughs) Don't worry about it, Gordy. I know that life is meaningless. Yeah, don't worry. I see your nihilism. Which, like, given how Teddy has this massive death wish and loves to just, like, jump in front of trucks and trains all the time, you would think he would be into this kind of, like, mindless Mm -hmm. fucking things up for everyone else. But the thing is that he's into it because he's, like, it's the very, it's like, so he is the idealized version of his father, right? Where his father's, like, a war hero and, like, was right and good and justified in everything that he did. And, like, yeah, he, you know, damaged my ears to the point that I need a hearing aid and was a horrible, unhinged sack of shit, but, like, I'm not gonna believe that. I'm gonna believe in, like, my brave and strong and valiant father, and I'm gonna, like, do what I think he would do, which is, like, charge at trains and, like, be, quote, brave, unquote, in the very, like, shallow way. It's interesting because it's not just, like, the danger, it's how angry he gets when people are, like... Like, like, you yank him away from the train, and he's so pissed off, he's so angry, and it's, like, Mm -hmm. he doesn't want to be seen as unable to do anything, which I'm sure is a symptom Mm -hmm. of, like, his very serious physical disabilities. I'm sure he's very traumatized. Yeah, incredibly so. And, like, even when, doesn't he, like, in, so, in the later years, when they all sort of start breaking apart... Um, in his junior year at high school, this is about Teddy, he got a three-day vacation from school for calling the guidance counselor a lying sack of shit. He had observed Teddy coming in every so often, like every day, and checking over his career board for new service literature, because uh, he wants to enlist. Uh, he told Teddy that maybe he should think about another career, and that was when Teddy blew his stack. So he had wanted nothing other than to be in the service, to join the Air Force, and like everyone always knew that that was going to happen, but he just, like, can't believe it. Yeah. It's like, they know, that's how they get him to, like, leave the dead body behind. They're like, oh, you can't get in the army if you have a police record. And he's like, "Yeah, oh, I guess I shouldn't have a police record then. And then mm-hmm. he can't get into the army, so he's like, I'm gonna do crime. And I'm gonna kill a bunch of people with me. It's like the, um, Paul Dano character in... Little Miss Sunshine, who has taken a vow of silence because of his interest in uh, Friedrich Nietzsche, and uh, his one goal is to get into the Air Force, um, and then he finds out that he can't go into the Air Force because he's colorblind, um, and the first word that he says in, like, years is a very loud screamed, fuck! Yeah. Like, that was a very sad moment in that movie. That was really sad sad because he didn't realize. Like, they found out he was colorblind in that moment. But see, Little Miss Sunshine is a a story about, like, the positive endurance of the human spirit. And, like, yes, that involves uh, wanting to enlist in the Air Force and corpse hijinks. 
but in yeah. the end is like a, a life affirming yeah uh story and, I, and this is not that i feel like that's much sadder because like he didn't know he did not know but this is like teddy knew his whole life his whole life he had had terrible vision and had hearing aids and those mm-hmm. are pretty obvious things to uh make you ineligible yeah for but then he's every like, branch of the armed service uh yeah, bad but vision then... is like one of the top reasons and then if you can't hear anything especially in the early 70s yeah or maybe that would have been the late 60s still Mm-hmm. he died in the early 70s but yeah it's like yeah man you didn't fucking put two and two together they do make it very clear though again teddy is not very smart not intelligent takes yeah. an hour and a half to read the funny pages yeah and gordon's dad's like can you get better friends and gordon's I did like enjoy no that. dad these are my friends sorry you don't like them but they're my friends and they're cool and they like me and we're friends you don't even like me leave me alone dad yeah you don't know i could be that stupid too this is one of i want to say this is one of stephen king in general does a lot of good stuff with like the buildings roman which is like the coming of age novel um or the coming of age story and uh i think this is this one and like it are probably like I know we've talked about Stephen always does like really he has like really good child characters yeah um and this one made me feel a whole bunch of stuff about like and this and like all of the things that I think a building German should do or that Stephen King certainly do which is about like growing up and away from childhood like friends and childhood views of the world and the realization of death and dying and I think like the scene when they come along like there's a moment before they get to Ray Brower where they've been having a good time and like doing these cookout and like having like a cookout and going on adventures and then um one of the characters says like I feel like like this should be a serious thing like all four of the characters even the ones who are quite explicitly and often painted as being something of a couple of dumbasses um have this moment where they're like we're looking for a dead body. Like, that's a big deal. Like, this should be a serious thing. Like, it should be. It matters. Um, and I appreciated that it wasn't just, like, a moment of reckoning when they saw the actual corpse, but, like, on the way, sort of. And I think and I think to speak to your earlier point, like, is it frustrating? The characters themselves are like, we could have cut over the tracks, but, like, we didn't really know that, like, at the time, because we didn't think to look at a map, because we were stupid kids. Yeah, they realized um, that they're, like, miles away, and they thought they were going to be really close. It's like, oh, it's because the train tracks aren't straight. They curve. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but that's also, like... And, like, yeah, we could avoid the whole thing, because we knew it was by this road, we could have just gone to the road, but... But we thought that the train tracks would get us there, which also is, like, an excellent metaphor, you know, for the whole experience of, like, growing up and, like, becoming yeah. an adult. And I think that, uh, yeah, something that this, like, it is very much not just, it's not just that it's about the journey, but it's also about, like, because it takes them, like, it takes them longer than they thought, and it's sort of spending more time out there, and it not being, like, a simple, easy adventure, um, I think really brings home for them and for the reader as well, like, this is what being an adult is. This is, like, things are harder. They take longer. Things don't go the way you expect. Like, things are a bigger deal than you thought maybe they would be, and they matter more. And I really like that. It is 
a lot of what growing up is like. And I think, like, I don't know. Like, this is not a story about finding a dead body. It's a story about no. realizing you're getting older. <laughs> and, yeah, like, and coming it's a story to terms about... with that. And I think it's very telling that it happens. It's Labor Day weekend, and they go back to school on, like, that Wednesday. Yeah. Like, they're about to enter the junior high. They're not in elementary yeah. school anymore. And I think that timing is really key. Mm-hmm. It's like, yeah, that's yeah, the they time are where because... you have to decide, like, what are you going to do? You want to go to college? You want to take a shop? What do you, what do you want? Which mm-hmm. is fucked up. We make children decide that, but, like, whatever. Yeah. So timing's really key. The body is really, like, could have been anything. Yeah. Could have been, like, I saw a weird frog. <laughs> and it could be the same, but I think that the, uh, the terror of death and realizing that, like, this is what it would be to be dead. You wouldn't smell this ever again. You won't do this ever again. This is a mm-hmm. child that is our age. So it's really, really key for Gordon to kind of figure out his brother's death. Like, well, think- that's what I mean. Like, I don't, I don't think that it could be anything. I think that it does. Like, it's called the body. Like, I think, like, it's it's about a bunch of kids going to look at a dead body, but like, and it's not about that dead body, but it is about death like like ray brower is not important because of ray brower as a character he's important because it's a corpse of a child yeah i think it's key like that i do like think a that that's traumatizing important. thing that they're going to look at yeah i think anything in the woods that would have been traumatic yeah that's could fair. stand the same function mm-hmm. it's hard to think of things that are as traumatic as a dead body but yeah they all involve other yeah i mean this is a this is a road trip movie. Yeah. And it, like, it starts uh, with trauma, and it ends with trauma, and there's so much trauma the entire time. They all just get traumatized yeah. together. Over this and is, over uh, again. This is Inside Lewin Davis for kids. Like, everything that can go wrong goes wrong. Like, also, every single fucking thing. Especially hellacious that, like... I think one of the one of the more memorable images from this, and I haven't seen the film, so I don't know if they include the specific image, but like they get in a like a big, big ass thunderstorm that's like right on top of them, and then it also starts hailing. Yeah. And then Ray Brower gets like they mention specifically that his eye sockets fill with hail. Yeah. Like and that's it- horrible. And they also mention like I think that the way that the body is described when they actually happen upon it is it's very like like it's not special it's not like a there's this I think there's this like air of mystery and adventure about it but when they find it like it's the corpse of someone who's their age and like it smells like farts and there are flies around it and like it's this very it's just a thing that's there yeah and they focus and a, I lot think that there's about, a lot of like how he's like he hardly looks fucked up like he's yeah. like a little bruised and he has a bloody nose Mm-hmm. It's not like squished, and which Gordy is what they also expected. like, yeah, and Gordy also can't stop thinking about like that he had um, that like Ray Brower had allegedly like gone blueberry picking, but they couldn't find the pail anywhere, and he was like, "What happened to it?" And he thinks about like years later, he always thinks about how he like wants to go back and try and look for it, and he has this vision of like what would happen, and it's very like it's like a classic bargaining. Yeah. And denial thing. Like, if only I could find this bucket, like, then I could reconcile 
like then it would mean something I could I could intuit some greater meaning or I would feel at peace or like something would be different yeah I just need to find this bucket and like there's nothing man like it's just it's just a dead body yeah people die like you desperately are seeking answers there's like that and he's like did the train engineer not see him did he see him but it was too late like they didn't call anyone like uh-huh you know which is also especially horrible know. given like they almost got flattened by a train yeah, and maybe, like that's how Ray died. Maybe they should all be more fucking careful. Uh, yeah, but like it's these things where it's like this desperate search for meaning that they won't get because they do say like they do find the body of the police. Like mm-hmm. Ace yeah. calls in a tip and they find the body, but obviously no one like looks into it. They don't get any answers. It's not like they read in the paper. Oh, they're arresting the train driver for negligence or whatever. N- none of that. It just, yeah. they never will get the answers, even though they were half at police. It's just, it's just the end. They'll just never get yeah. an investigation or anything like that. They'll never know uh, anything about it. And it really is like this displacement of, it was an accident, and he needs to know everything about it. But his brother's mm-hmm. death was also an accident, and he's just kind of like, yeah, there was a Jeep accident on base. Like, what do you mean? Yeah, and it's very, um, and the way that he talks about his brother is very, like, I don't care. I was never really that close to him. Like, yeah, he compares him We like, were so different in age, but I have to know what happened to this bucket that this guy had when he blueberry picked. Like, yeah. It's like, you never you do this care, kid. You care a lot. Yeah, you're just displacing your feelings, which isn't mm-hmm. the best. <laughs> no. Yeah, like, that's why you're still haunted by dreams of drowning and, like, your childhood friends years later. Yeah, you gotta deal with these things, Steven. As we've covered before, repressing trauma doesn't help it go away. Yeah. Also, like, he mm-hmm. finally comes home and he just, like, <laughs> wipes off the dirt and fries, like, a ton of eggs. And he's just, like, at the dining yeah. table. And his mom's just, like, like, oh... Where have you been? He's like, camping. We did this, this, and, like, starts to spin the lie, but she's already, like, just, like, looking out the window. Yeah, I went into Mm -hmm. his room this morning, and do you remember how he used to sleep? And he's just like, okay. What does he say? He says, like, uh... (laughs) She's like, his room's always empty. And he's like, yep, that's a bitch. Yeah, he literally (laughs) says, yeah, that's a bitch. He always slept with his window open and the blankets. Gordon, did you say something? (laughs) Nothing important, Mom. And that's also something that's, like, that's also something that I think is key to the story is that, like, he had this huge life-altering adventure and he comes home and he has no way, like, the most important things are the hardest to say. Like, he can't fucking talk to his mom about it. Yeah. He can't say anything. And he... And, like, he's had this powerful moment of, like, realizing what death looks like and... And, like, he's trembling the entire time he's eating. He mentions it. And his mom just, yeah. like, doesn't... If your child is trembling, ask them about it. Yeah. Calmly and kindly. Ask them if something's wrong. Or if they'd like to talk about anything. Mm-hmm. Kids aren't supposed to be just trembling while they eat eggs. Yeah. At the, at the best case scenario, they're allergic to eggs. Kids should not be shaking yeah. at the breakfast table. It's so just saying, sad. Like, it's sad. I don't think that growing up sucks this hard. Like, I'm gonna put it out there. Here's the thing. is like, the way that you... Growing up is hard and involves a lot of, like, developing an understanding of and experiences with death. And, like, 
how things don't always, like, things don't always happen for a reason and whatever. But I do want to say that, like, I enjoy my adult life and being a person. And, like... Yeah. This story is, like, everything is terrible. Like, you can't communicate with people. Like, everything sucks. We went on this quest, and I am the only one who's alive, and all my childhood friends are dead, and, like... But here's the thing, Gordy. You have, like, a wife and kids, and you're a successful writer, and, like, you're alive, and you get to do stuff. Like, I don't think it sucks this hard. I think... Because I was thinking about this, too, because I was... In general, Stephen King characters, like, they cannot get through high school without, like, a massive trauma that stays with them their whole life. And I uh, was also traumatized in high school. Hey, so was I. And I was like, huh, I just, like, I don't feel like that haunts me every waking moment of my day. And I realized it's because I dealt with my trauma. (laughs) Like, yes, I was still traumatized and it's still there. But it doesn't haunt, I don't have nightmares every night about it, because I'm an adult, so I dealt with it. That's, and that's part of what, like, part of what growing older is, is, like, you have traumas, whatever, but then you fucking, like, you learn how to heal from them. Like, you, yeah, ideally, not everyone does, and that's a whole other wheel of cheese, but, uh... That's like, also that's also a cool thing about growing up is that like you get to reach out for help and connect with people and like you get to heal and be better and like have joy in your life and do these things. And so like I don't know, I like reading this story because I do appreciate like I connect to that like loss of childhood innocence and and growing older and whatever, but also like I'm dealing with my traumas, Steven. Yeah. Most people do in one way or another. Maybe it's yeah, the like past. I'm, like, when you grew up in the 60s, you couldn't deal with it, so you just got stuck uh, drinking or killing people or killing yourself. And I'm like, if I were a character in a Stephen King novel, I would have, like, died at 20 in some way, form, like, some form or another. My trauma would have led to just, like, death. Yeah. That's the only option. Or I'd become a writer, and I write out thinly veiled reenactments of my trauma. And that keeps me going day to day, but I'm still not happy. <laughs> I'm still having yeah. nightmares and shit. And it's like, oh. It doesn't just, have to be this way. Yet another Stephen King book where I'm like, if they could just get one therapist in here. Just one. <laughs> just one. We could have made this whole thing so much better. Ideally, like, yeah. five. But <laughs> even one therapist would have made a world of difference. It, yeah. Should you read this story, Lily? Yeah, you should. It's a fucking bop. I agree. Yeah. It is... It's... It's worth... It's worth your time. It's such a classic. I wouldn't even say this is a classic Stephen King story. Like, this is just a classic. It's a classic story. Yeah. yeah it's, I would, classic. it's just a classic. The film version is also very good. They changed mm-hmm. a little bit, seen the but... Film. Mm-hmm. They changed some, like, weird parts, but... Mm-hmm. Overall, they got all the main plot points. Just saying, yeah. including the god-awful leech scene. Ugh. Fuck. <laughs> It's very good. I would read it, um, but I would not enact it. Yet another story where it's like, don't do what they do. Yeah. Don't just, like, like, clam up and never talk about it. Yes. Uh, Do you have any recommendations? I do. I don't have any book recommendations, but I have two recommendations about... um, One of them is very tonally different, so yeah, so my two recommendations, one is a TV show and one is a film. And the film is Bo Burnham's genius film, Eighth Grade. 
which is about it's it's a modern coming of age story. Um, Bo Burnham is so talented; it makes me furious. <laughs> and eighth grade, I would recommend it to everybody. Um, I think it's especially powerful for yeah, like pretty much. I would say if you are if you are in eighth grade and up, I think it is for you. Um, I don't. I hope you're not listening to this podcast if you're 13 years old. But like, I don't know what people get up to. I don't know. Um, I'd tell you your business. I think it's it's an extremely powerful and well told um, coming of age story, and it is firmly set in now. But I think it speaks to a lot of anxieties about being in um, fitting and belonging and being your authentic self. So it's not quite a match in tone, but it is a match in like the age of the characters. So I'd recommend that. And then something that I just watched that I've absolutely fallen in love with is Over the Garden Wall, which is on Hulu right now. Um, it is a 10-episode uh, Cartoon Network series, and each episode is like 11 or 12 minutes long, so you can watch all of it in one sitting, which is what I did. Um, and it is the story about two kids who are um, half-brothers. One is like the child of a, of a prior marriage and they are wandering through this forest called the unknown and it is about their attempts to get back home and they it's very appropriate for uh fall it's extremely autumnal and spooky but is also about like growing older and it's and it's a it's a road trip series um and it's about growth and uh has a lot to do with like love and relating to other people and it's very positive mm-hmm. and I would highly recommend it so there you go that's so nice mm-hmm. um I would recommend mine and many other people's favorite coming of age story that is the Harry Potter series yes if you haven't read oh, Harry Potter or reread Harry Potter as an adult if you haven't read it in the first place you should it's worth it um, but mm-hmm. if you read it when you were younger and you haven't reread it as an adult, I would recommend that. It really is, especially when I'm contrasting it to this, it's a story about children overcoming these traumas in a way that is so kind. And they, like, maintain their personhood in a way that I find really sweet. And, like, in this story where it's like, these traumas stay with me my whole life. I have nightmares. I'll never escape them. And Harry Potter, it's like, it's okay. You have friends. You're gonna get through it. It's gonna be okay. You're gonna make it through this horrible thing. Mm -hmm. And I didn't realize how much I appreciated the lapse of this hyper-masculinity until I was rereading this story and was like, wow, if they could just stop being masculine bros for a minute, it would be so much easier on them. And Harry Potter does have moments, right, where you're like, boys. But because I think it was... Because it was written by a woman, I think it's just better. Like, they're not tied up in, like, my whole personhood is being tough, so I need to Mm -hmm. keep all of this inside me until I die. It's like, yeah, these kids are traumatized, and they're working it out, and they're talking to each other, and they're solving their problems. I haven't reread them, actually, and I really should. It's important Um, to reread them, but ignore anything J.K. Rowling says. Just just don't. Don't don't think about anything she has ever said about the series. Yeah, just ignore that. Ignore any of the world building she's done outside of the context yeah. of the books. Just like let she that sucks. go. Enjoy, enjoy the books for what they are. Yeah, and you and can let yourself think about it and like decide what you think is good. Like, oh, yeah. Remus and Sirius were in love. 
Absolutely. Bask in that. Love it. Yeah. That's the thing is, like, things don't... This is... Yeah, there's been, like, a massive HP backlash because of, like, every... The nonsense that JKR has been pulling, and, like, that's reasonable. But also, like, it didn't become, like, a worldwide phenomenon that fundamentally changed the fabric of what children's fantasy stories could be, like, by accident. Yeah. Like, that wasn't fake. Like, it's good. (laughs) It is good. Like, it is. You just have to be mindful when you're reading it. Yeah. Let's ignore it. Anyway. That's my recommendation. I love... Everything's problematic, bitch. Let's get you some nuance. (laughs) (laughs) Let's get you some fucking cultural context, bitch. Indeed. Uh, Yeah. Very good. That's our our show's Twitter uh, banner, which I did on purpose. (laughs) Anyway. um, I love it. All right. We're breathing. We're breathing, and there's a method to the madness. <laughs> Ew. All right. So. Mm. Do you want to take this summary, my dear, so yeah. I can eat my food? <laughs> your apple. Should have gotten really close to the mic. That would have been funny. Mm. You're going to love Sorry, that no, when you edit. Sorry, no, <laughs> You're going to be editing this like, oh, God. Yeah, it'll be okay. We took, like, a minute break. I'll have a very long room tone loop. The point is, the breathing method. Yeah, the breathing method. Winter's Tale, the breathing method. The final novella in this collection. Um, the, the frame story is about this guy, David? Did they ever? I don't think they ever told us his full name. Uh, Mr. Adley. Mr. Adley? David Adley. Adley. Okay. His name's David, David Adley. Adley. I knew his first name, I knew his last important. name, together, combined. <laughs> Yay! So, David Adley, he is a lawyer. He makes it very clear that he's super mediocre. He's just, like, in his mid-level job at his law firm, just kind of hanging out. And one day, his boss shows up at his office and is, like, making weird small talk. And he's like, this is weird because nobody ever talks to me because I'm super mediocre. Mediocre. <laughs> and then his boss is like, oh, I go to this uh, club I guess you could call it. You should come with me sometime. And he was like, yeah, sounds sounds great. Uh, <laughs> and he's like, okay. And then, like, the week later, he's like, hey, how about tonight? You free tonight? Let's go tonight. He's like, uh, okay. I mean, no harm in it, right? And also, he's a lawyer, so this is how a lot of people advance. So they just start going to the same clubs as their bosses. And they all hang out. And it's all kind of immoral but whatever so he goes to this club and there is a butler and he walks in he's like oh this is great like there's wall-to-wall bookshelves it's very nice there's just a couple guys sitting around like playing checkers like sipping a drink nothing nothing big right he's like okay this is kind of nice it's fine he's reading some books he's looking around and then they all like gather at the fireplace someone throws powder into the fireplace to make it a fun color <laughs> and they're like oh it's story time he's like Ooh, okay it's kind of weird for a group of adult men to do whatever he doesn't say that i say it and someone tells a story and they're like oh you should have saved that for christmas and he's like oh like do they do this a lot like do you guys tell stories and the the latin over the fireplace is it latin or is it just in english uh, but it's not the tale. It's not the. It is the tale, not he who tells not it. Not he who tells it. Yeah. That's the like motto for the club. 
So it's just a club where everyone gets together and tells stories sometimes. So he goes for the next decade. Mm-hmm. He just He's a regular at the club now. Over the years, like, there have been stories, like, somebody passed away and they raised a collection for his wife. Like, it's just, you know, seems like a pretty normal time. But there's all these rooms that are in the building that he's like, oh, wow, there's a lot going on here. And it seems like the butler never ages. That's kind of weird. But anyway... <laughs> Like also, he keeps I, going. Read, I spend a lot of time reading these books, and I've tried to look them up, like, in the Library of Congress and stuff, and the authors don't, don't really exist, and the poems are really good, but the, some of the poets exist, but their poems don't, and, and I read, like, like... The brand that the billiards table is isn't a brand <laughs> that exists yeah. anywhere in the world, and that's strange, but it does get him promoted at work, going to this club with his boss, so... It does. He keeps go. going, right? So now, we're kind of, like, in this, the main scene. It's Christmas Eve, and he... No, I think it's the, it's the 23rd. It's the Thursday before Christmas. Yes. Yeah. Um, so it's right before Christmas, takes a cab, goes to the club, you know, has because a nice Christmas time. stories are always, like, supernatural yeah, stories. it's a big deal. Everyone comes in. Like, on most nights, there's, like, you know, a handful of people hanging out. But mm-hmm. those Christmas ones, everyone's there. And it's also, like, on other nights, like, someone will just decide to tell a story. But the Christmas one is, like, who is going to tell us the tale at Christmas time? Yeah. And then someone has to, like, step forward and volunteer, and it's all a big thing. Yeah. So. Uh, and it's kind of, like, it's, like, a little ominous. Like, Stevens, the butler, will, like, ask it, and there's, like, a moment where everyone kind of just, like, looks at each other. Looks and around like, and sees, like, like, if anyone's gonna do it. What happens yeah. if no one has one? But this year, they have one. Uh, from good old McCarran. Tell the story of the breathing method. So this is another story being told while at this club. So we have our frame narrative, mm-hmm. and then here's, like, the chunk of the novella. So he is a doctor. He was in World War Two. He came back to New York City. World War One. Yes, yes, yeah. I know what year. <laughs> yeah, you're right. It was way too early, uh, because the story of the Balkan place place in '35. So mm-hmm. and he'd already been practicing for quite a bit. Yes, sorry. World War One. You're fine. They're very similar. Most of the letters are the same. True. They're not. Uh, but he was a doctor, served in World War One, came back to New York City, finished med school, opened a practice. It's kind of rough goings for a while, you know, the Depression. And then in 1935, a woman comes in who we call Sandra Stansfield. She gives her name as, like, Jane Smith. They're like, mm-hmm. oh, okay. And she is unmarried, and she is pregnant. It's also a fun moment when they say that, though. Because McCarran is like, you know, I appreciate that she was just like, listen, like, we all know that I'm not going to give you my real name, but I'm also not going to, like, pretend that I'm giving you a real name. Like, we're all just going to be honest about the fact that my name yeah. is clearly not Jane This is an alias, like, I don't, and you know I that. Don't have, I, like, I don't have the patience for these games. Like, let's yeah. just fucking put my cards on the table here. So she anyway. gives a fake name, and she finds out she's pregnant, and he is kind of in awe at how calm she is. She's, like, a very determined young woman. Uh, she's very, like, upright. She's like, okay, I'm pregnant. That's what we're doing. He's like, are you gonna keep it? She's like, yes, I am. He's like, well, can I treat you for the whole time? I'd love to, but I need to know your real name. 
so I'm going to treat you throughout this pregnancy. And she's like, okay, I suppose. It's, like, very funny to me. But he's like, I'll help you give birth to this baby, but I gotta know your name. And she's like, hmm, all right, well, that's fair. So he knows a lot, like, a shocking amount about yeah. obstetrics. Like, for the time period, he gives her very, very good advice. He writes his own pamphlets. He talks about prenatal vitamins, which are brand new. Uh... And like avoiding a yeah, lot like of you things. Shouldn't smoke. You shouldn't smoke. Uh, you know, don't, don't overexert yourself. yourself. Into your girdle. Yeah, all these advice, and he has this mm-hmm. breathing method that he tries to get all of uh, his pregnant patients to use. Which, like, he's like, oh, nowadays we call it Lamaze breathing, but this was before <laughs> Mr. Lamaze existed, so it was just mm-hmm. the breathing method. And she's like, okay, cool. I'm going to pay for my entire treatment in cash right now. Right now. So his secretary starts loving her. She's mm-hmm. like, you know, it's a shame that she's like a big old slut, but... Pretty much. What a respectable way to go about it, you know? There are mm-hmm. a lot of more respectable people who we have to hunt down to pay their bills. It's so nice that she just up front gave us the money, and he was like, hey, you don't have to do that. Like, are you going to be good? she was like, yes, I know I'll lose my job when they find out I'm pregnant, so I just want to get everything paid for now, so I know it's taken care of. Again, she's a very self-possessed young woman, Mm -hmm. very practical. He... He's also like, okay, that's smart, but just so you know, I'm technically, like, I'm technically considering it that you haven't paid until those things come due, so, like, if you need the money back, like... Yeah. And he... To me, you didn't pay me yet, so, like, let me... He talks about it. He has, like, an aside in the story where he's like, I know what you guys are thinking. Was I in love with her? And I think at this point I was, like, starting to fall in love with her. I don't think I was mm-hmm. in love with her, but... But I was, I like... I could... Like, kind of. She, she was, was great. Like, it was there. I was mm-hmm. in awe of her. She was fantastic. So, uh, time goes by. She begins to show. And she does end up losing her job. She knows that also the boarding house she lives in will probably kick her out as well because they're very respectable. So she buys a wedding ring from a pawn shop and finds a new place to live. She just tells them that her husband had just died. It becomes this very tragic story. An old blind lady in the building starts hiring her to do light housework and to read to her. Things are going okay. Like, the best they can be going in this moment. It's going okay. She's figured yeah, it out. Yeah, for an she has a plan in place. pregnant woman in 1935. Yeah. It's incredibly horrible to be pregnant at all in this time period. To be unmarried and pregnant is unforgivable. Um, So she is doing her best. She has a place to live and a job. And so that's pretty good. And she's been practicing the breathing. She's like, it really helps me stay calm in stressful situations. It's been really helpful. Like when I got fired. My boss thought that I was a lunatic, but I just stayed there like locomotive puffing and uh, I didn't cause a ginormous scene, yeah. and I was able to get my check and leave with dignity. So thanks for that. And, like, when I'm stressed out, because, you know, I could at any point be destitute. I'll, I'll do your breathing method. It's been really mm-hmm. helpful. And he's like, that's awesome. Like, don't worry. I don't have family. I will definitely be around for when you give birth, because she's going to give birth right around Christmas. Mm-hmm. She's worried about it. He's like, don't worry. I will be here. Here's my number. Call me as soon as you start to go into labor. I don't want anyone at, like, the regular hospital to treat you because they don't know, like, modern methods. They'll just mm-hmm. have you scream. <laughs> yeah. That was how and, we did um, it back then, just screaming. Uh, 
she also says to him, she's like, you know, I gotta tell you, I have this weird feeling that, like, I'm just doomed. Yeah. And he's like... like everything is fine. No. I just, like, it's going well, but I just feel like my doom is upon me. And he, like... He's like, no, Doesn't tell her at the time. Don't he's think like, about oh, no, that. Like, but he had had normal. a weird, like, premonition kind of thing where he was looking at a picture he has in his office where... His father's first wife is the one that founded the local hospital. So there's a big old statue of her in front of the hospital. This is back when people could just do that. You would just be like, I think there should be a hospital here. Here's some cash, and you just be the hospital. Um, and it's him standing in front of it, like, right after he got his medical degree. And he sees the picture in his office, and he has a vision of her standing there holding her own head in her arms. And he is like, well, that was spooky. Uh, well, we're gonna ignore it. We're ignoring it. Don't feel doomed. Don't worry about it. Everything's gonna be fine. I'll be here for your birth. Like, don't worry about it. Classic, right? She goes into labor, gets a cab, calls him. He's like, okay, I'll meet you at the hospital. She's in the cab, and the cab driver starts freaking out. Not because a woman is, like, going through labor, but because she's doing this really method that's different and weird to him. He was like, if she had just been screaming like normal, or anything I'd expect from a pregnant yeah, woman. Yeah, he, like, doesn't know what to do because she's just, like, sitting there breathing these, like, really measured deep breaths. Yeah, she's just staying calm while giving, like, going to labor, and he's freaked out. So he pulls a stupid move and, like, tries to, like, go through an intersection really fast because he sees there's an opening, but there's an ambulance coming. Probably why there's an opening. He's probably making way for the ambulance, but whatever. And the car crashes horrifically. Uh, it, like, the car is in half. And it hits yeah. the statue of Dr. McCarran's, not his mom. He keeps referring to it as his dad's first wife, so I don't think it's his mother. But his father's first wife crashes mm-hmm. into it, and... He runs over, he sees it, he's on his way to the hospital, he's walking over, he sees it, he runs over, and he, like, hits something with his foot, and he looks down, and that's her head. (laughs) She has been completely decapitated. So he goes over to her body and sees that her corpse is still breathing, and he's like, shit, I gotta deliver this baby. (laughs) Pretty much, yeah. She's doing the breathing method, I gotta, I gotta help her have this baby. And, she's, and then he, like, snaps back to being in, like, World War One like, crisis mode. Like, he's yelling at some of the women there, and he's saying, like, yeah. referring to them like, as, like, Sarge. Nurses come out, because there was a car crashing from the hospital, and they're like, hey, mm-hmm. could we help with anything? We're nurses. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this is a hospital. Um, and he's, like, screaming at them to get a blanket, and, like, everyone's pretty freaked out, because this is a headless body that's breathing, and he's, like, yanking the baby out of it. And they're yeah. like... Okay. <laughs> he also specifically mentions he's like, I really hate that I had to use forceps because I saw them kill a kid one time, and uh, yeah, I'm not I would it. never use them normally, but I packed them. I didn't know why I packed them, but I guess it was for this. So the baby is born alive, and he goes over to the head, and he can like see like, her mouthing. Uh, thank you, Doctor McCarran. But he hears it from the body, because that's where the vocal cords are. And he's like, it's a boy. And she's like, boy. boy. And then dies. Dies. And, or is gone. In whatever way. And then everyone at the club is like, 
what happened to what what happened to the baby? And he's like, oh yeah, well he got adopted. I obviously kept a little bit of a tab on him, mm-hmm. and I met him once. And he, he like was, he's seemed a to carry himself the same way that his mom did. Yeah, like he, he was, was very self possessed. Like he had her eyes. I had like a chance. We had lunch. Mm-hmm. He's the exact same. Love him. Glad he's mm-hmm. happy. And then everyone, you know, in the club back in the present day, the present day for the story. It's like, good story, great job. And they all go to leave, right? David is kind of lingering. He's the last person out. And he asks uh, Stephen the butler some questions. He's like, like very clearly uncomfortable. And Stephen's just like, what's up? <laughs> Are you good? Uh, he's like, well, I, just, I, I want to ask some questions. He's like, well, it's the holidays. So sure, go ahead. And he kind of like chickens out. So he's like, how many rooms are there upstairs? He's well, like, he many, also says, many. like, Stevens is like, you should know that, like, when people ask questions, they don't really come back. And he's like, are they kicked out? And he's like, no, it's just, like, when they find out more things, they don't really want to come yeah. back. Like, they, they, like, choose to stay away. And so he's like, well... Uh, so he bitches how out. How many rooms are there? Yeah. Are there many more rooms? He's like, yep. Uh... You could get lost up there. In fact, people have gotten lost. Lots of it. And he's like, how many entrances and exits? And he's just like, oh, just bunches. Bunches of entrances, lots of exits. And then I was like, that's it? That was it, yeah. So David leaves. (laughs) He's like, thanks so much. Mm -hmm. Have a great night. Goodbye. And then he just goes home. And I have so many questions. And I wouldn't bitch out asking them to Stephen, okay? I would be Stevens, sorry. Stevens. It's his last name, so it's Stevens, but we also have our boy, Steven. We do. And every time I have a moment, I just. What do I have to do in my life for people to offer to bring me to a mysterious club with a butler that never ages and books that don't appear in any library? What do I have to do? Have I not been living my life right? Because this never happens to me. No one has ever offered me to come to one of these clubs. And I want to so badly. (laughs) I wouldn't be a little bitch like David here. I would be like, fuck yeah. (laughs) How many entrances and exits? 47? Fuck yes. Steven, do they all lead out to the world that I know? Probably not. Let's go through a couple. Let's fucking go. Stevens, I'm gonna I'm gonna tie this rope around my waist. I'm just gonna leave it here. Is that cool? Good with that? I'll be back. It's fine. Don't worry about it. Mm-hmm. I would have a great time. I have some tales, not any good ones, but I have some. <laughs> but I have them. So you just couldn't tell on Christmas then. You could yeah. talk on other. Well, and maybe by times. the time I'm super old, I'll have one for Christmas. Okay. I don't know. There you go. A lot of the people in the story seem to be like when they're like oh, who's going to tell the tale this year? They'll be like, well, I've, I've been thinking about something for a few years. Uh-huh. I, I, I can tell this this year. So they just mm-hmm. have to spend, like, 20 years thinking about their story before they can tell it. Yeah. I can do that. I'll find one. I'll figure it out. Mm-hmm. I don't know. What's David going to talk about? It's his turn to tell a story on Christmas. Hmm? I'm better than David. Anyway, that's the story. I thought it was really boring when I was a child and I read it. And I can see why. Because it is kind of boring. Most of it is just, like, this guy who's a lawyer talking about how, like, maybe this will lead to career advancement. 
Yeah. And him just, like, reading books. Also, I wanted to mention that his wife is just a big ol' sexy lamp. She oh. is just there. He just she comes is home. just someone for him to talk to and ask about, like, his how's work going and to provide maybe some kind of outside incentive for him to, like, climb the ladder. Like, she is just yeah. there. She's there to be like, yes, dear. No, dear. I think that's a great idea, dear. You might as well go. No, I don't mind that you joined this club and that you're staying out really late on, like, a Thursday night. Mm-hmm. That's cool. I have my Women's yeah. Rights League. It's the same thing. It's not the same thing. This club is way cooler. Also, he makes it very clear that, like, he doesn't pay any dues. There's no, like, membership fees or anything like yeah. that. So we it's don't just, know like, how you have to be invited. But, like, wouldn't she ask? He's like, oh, it's just this gentleman's club. Like, wouldn't you be like, oh, how much does that cost? Like, let me factor that into our budget. I don't know. At the at the Christmas time story, we just give Stevens whatever the fuck we have in our pockets. And, like, <laughs> yeah. that's how it goes. I just, you know, I tip the butler anything I have in my wallet. And she's like, okay. He's like, no, that's it. <laughs> that's all. There's that's no, like, membership it. fee or anything like that. Like, Mm-hmm. Which most places have, because that's how they run, and they function, and they mm-hmm. pay for, like, booze and mysterious books and that fancy <laughs> powders to throw into the fire to make it a fun color. And cool tuxes for the immortal butler. Yeah. Like, like how, you know those clothes are going to fall apart eventually. Like, you yeah. gotta keep them keep in, in... The tuxes are also gear. immortal. Ooh. One of the exits leads to a dimension where tuxes are immortal, and <laughs> you just yoinked one. They're sentient, there too. It's very scary. Mm. Stevens is a killer. Isn't there a part where, like, Adley talks about um, imagining that there's some, like, hell dimension? That, like, if he opens a door, he'll find it, and, like, everything will be terrible? Yep. And then he's just like, anyway, lots of rooms, huh? He just, like, he gets scared about, like, any possibilities. And I was like, these are not the questions I would ask. I'd be like, let me see your budget. Do you pay taxes? Stevens, do you pay taxes? Can I have your job? Do you need an assistant? The important questions, you know. Uh, yeah, his mm-hmm. wife is, like, not a character at all. Even his boss really isn't. His boss just serves as a vehicle to, like, get him to the club. Get him there, yeah. And then later to, like, promote him. And then, like, he just sees them sometimes at the club. They, like, nod at each other. They don't talk at work at all. He makes that very clear. They just, like, nod at each other at work. They're not friends. It's not like he gains a good, like, friendship or relationship out of this. Also, like, uh, so Adley is, like, talking to Stevens, and the second that... So he, like, mentions all of the... I looked at the billiard table company and like that doesn't exist and I can't find any of the books anywhere and there's a jukebox listed like there's a jukebox made by a company that doesn't exist and so that he says like what is your question Mr. Adley and then suddenly he turns into like that something changes and it's like menacing and evil and he like the smells turn like bitter and horrible and everything is sinister and then he's just like how how many rooms you got there. What's up? Here's a normal question. Nothing mm-hmm. weird about it at all. Let's see, it's just like many bunches. 
It's very, um, it's very The Shining. Yeah, it is. It's very You've much... always been the caretaker. Yeah. I'm so happy here. I love this job. I've always had this job, and I love it. As if. And also there's this weird thing where, like, no one wants to talk about the club outside of the club. Like, yeah. there's a part where he, like, follows his boss out, and they just, he's like, oh, do you want to share a taxi? He's like, yeah. Hey, you did, like, a great job with the story you told tonight. It was so good. And he's like, oh. And he's like, that's nice of thanks. you to say. His voice was chillingly polite. It's like, okay. Like, as soon also, as you're done. it's very weird to me that his boss was like, don't wait for another invitation. You can come back whenever. And then he's like, so I waited for another invitation. And then when I didn't get one, I went, it's like, my good dude. Like, yeah, he told you to just show up. Like, he Obviously, told you, he gave you permission. This is a super weird place with a bunch of weirdos. You can just show up. It's going to be fine. It's very funny to me. The whole concept of this club is very, very funny to me. Also, Gordon from The Body would fucking kill at Christmas Oh my god. Time. He would absolutely, like... He would kill. He would. Oh my god. It would be Yeah, great. I went and we and we flipped a coin and we got tails three times or four times in a row and then we flipped a coin again and my three friends got tails and I got heads and I was the only one who went to the store and now they're all dead. And it's just me. Any Stephen King character could roll up to this club and just bring it down. Everyone would be like, Yes! It's like, this is so, this is, um, did you ever, what is the show, was it, was it Are You Afraid of the Dark or Don't Be Afraid of the Dark? What was it called? Are You Afraid of the Dark. Yeah, there you go. Which was just, like, kids, I never watched it, but wasn't it just, like, kids sitting around a campfire and, like, telling each other ghost stories? Yeah. Like, that's what this is. It's just, like, in a fancy, like, an eldritch gentleman's club. Yeah. But it's it's the same thing. It's that, but with cigars. Exactly. And, like, the best brandy that Adley's ever had. Yeah. Stevens is a great bartender. It's cause it's it's cause it's Cthulhu's brandy. <laughs> it's haunted brandy. <laughs> <laughs> there hasn't been brandy around here for forty years. Forty years. It's ghost brandy. The brandy died forty years ago. Ghost brandy. It doesn't get you In drunk. It's a tragic but it accident. Mm-hmm. God. Love some, That'd be the dream. some ghost drinks. Anyway, perhaps we should talk about the actual content of the story. Yeah, I just, like, uh, I find the, like, story within the story to be so, like, meh. Like, I loved Sandra. Like, I loved her. Yeah. She was great. Mm-hmm. I'm a big she fan was of her. Great. She's just like, well, what am I going to do? I'm pregnant, so gotta live with it. Mm-hmm. Let's be fucking realistic about it. I love it. I thought it was very nice that, like, Dr. McCarran is, like, very liberal the whole time. He's, like, incredibly liberal in his method of doctoring and, like, his ideology, and also just in the fact that, like, he's willing to treat an unmarried pregnant woman, which is, in like, the 30s. a big fucking no-no. Yeah, and he talks about how, like, he's seen a lot of people... Who have tried to do like at home abortions and it's been horrible mm-hmm. and they died and it's so sad and how like you know he doesn't think that that's right 
Mm-hmm. And all this stuff, and you're like, oh, like this is just like a shockingly liberal guy in the 30s. Mm-hmm. No, like that's just nice. Yeah, it is. And he's like, here's some actual good medical advice don't smoke cigarettes. And let's try to like breathe your way through birth, which does help a lot. Like now I think breathing methods are like pretty highly used in like every hospital. Like, you mm-hmm. can't go to a birthing class without them telling you how to breathe. Uh, but yeah, back then it was really weird. You were like, just mm-hmm. try to like breathe and stay calm while you're, you know, a human is hurtling their way through your body. And everyone would be like, you're fucking stupid. And he mentions that too. He's like, just a decade ago, like, it was the most dangerous thing a woman could do. Escape birth. Yeah. <laughs> People died all the time. We've gotten so much better now. But they don't know that, so they're screaming. And it's like, well, that's fair. Mm-hmm. I, too, would be screaming. Come on, Sandra, she's good. She's got it. She's not worried. She's like, I have a plan. I know exactly how long I can keep my job for. I have my savings. I know I have to live off that. Mm-hmm. I'm going to work it out. And he's like, God, you're great. Also, really nice to read a Stephen King story that, like, a character, multiple a character displays understanding of accurate female anatomy. Yeah, that was good. I liked that. Shockingly accurate information about giving birth. Also, no or very few mentions of titties. That was the best part. I love the part where I didn't have to hear about a woman's titties. <laughs> I loved it. I, I loved, loved not having to do that. Love that for us. Love it. Love that. Uh, yeah, Ugh. she's like she's very non-sexualized, probably because she's pregnant, right? Like, mm-hmm. she's the mother, not the whore. But uh, it was just nice to have like a man yeah, who was, like, yeah, I don't know, admires and cares about a woman without it being like I was looking at her legs as they walked through the door and they reminded me of something horrifying and you're like stop staring at her legs you're a doctor look at her face (laughs) or her belly i don't know she's pregnant that would be an option too Mm -hmm. look at the part that you're doctoring and he didn't do that he just really liked her as a person and thought she was really nice and really good Mm -hmm. yeah i like i this is a very i liked this story I love the setup. I love the, like, like creepy club where people just tell stories and we don't really know what's what and it's all very hush-hush and we just sort of, like, we get together and we tell a spooky tale and we leave. And, like, the tale itself did not have a lot of the unfortunate Stephen King trappings um, of any kind, really. Um, at least not in, like, the actual The Breathing Method itself. Um it's just like a spooky tale that everyone's telling on a dark and stormy night. Like, what a nice time. And then I so just, like, goddamn sad. Another yeah. completely pointless death where it's just like, her cab driver was an idiot and gets into an accident. Yeah. Right outside of the hospital. Right like, outside. Right, like, on just, the steps. He just been a little calmer. And he, like, blames her. He's like, he was like, if... She could have just been a normal pregnant lady giving birth in the backseat of my cab. I would have been fine. But she had yeah, to be like, breathing. Yeah, she I mean, was, like, like, screaming. And it was like, really? You'd expect me to believe that you would be just, you would be calmer if you had a screaming in pain woman in the back of your car. Like, really? sir, sir, just because she was breathing funny 
doesn't mean that you didn't just take an innocent woman's life. Yeah. You just killed this lady because of your negligence. You literally, you did the literal worst that you could do in your job. You did not safely take someone from one location to another. You transported someone and through your actions killed her. Like, that is the worst it could go for you. And like, sure, you know, it's Christmas Eve. You probably don't want to be on anymore. You'd like to go home. I imagine being a cab driver sucks as like a job. Yeah. Can't be Mm -hmm. good. But, uh... That's a pregnant lady. She needs to be delivered somewhere safely, so maybe you can make an effort. Also, there's, like, no normal way to give birth. Okay? Yeah. You're going through, like, the worst thing of your life. You can do it however you want to do it. If you want to scream, go ahead. If you want to, like, breathe very deeply, great. If you want to fucking kill that cab driver, that's fine with me, too. Um, you would probably keep breathing for a little bit. Yeah. Just, like, in the rhythm. Like, I think that's probably possible. Especially, like, there is something inside of her that's trying to get out. Contractions are, like, a body response. It's not, like, she's doing it. Like, so those would still be going for a little bit. Like, that's not the brain that's causing contractions. That's the body. Yeah. So for a couple seconds, sure. You you keep going. Yeah. And then the people specifically... The people are specifically, like couldn't she just keep going and he's like no like she like her head spoke to me like her yeah. mouth mouthed words and they came out of her body like, yeah everyone's like okay yeah happened. i mean you could keep going for a little bit yeah that seems realistic like weird and creepy but totally mm-hmm. optional uh and he's like no i went over to the head and showed it the baby <laughs> told her it was a boy and she spoke to mm-hmm. me and everyone's like Okay. Okay. All right. Anyway, I don't, yeah, I don't have a lot to say about this one. I don't know. It's a sad story, but, like, I knew it was, I knew what happened going into it, so I was expecting it, and I just had a nice time. Yeah. It was nice. I don't know. You know, for a story about a pregnant woman dying in childbirth, like, it was pretty nice as they go. I don't know. I find it a very interesting story in connection with the rest of them. Like, I feel like the Mm. rest of them are, like, big, meaty stories. And, like, there's a lot to them, and there's a lot to get into. And then this one Uh is like, yeah, that also was in this collection, wasn't it? It was nice. It's worth reading. I would read it if I read it. I would read it, yeah. But it's certainly not... I don't know. We got some heavy hitters here. Yeah, we really do. And then this This is also... This is the only one, I should mention, this is the only one that hasn't been adapted into a film. All three... The other three all have... They're allegedly doing it in 2020, but I don't know how they're going to do that. But, yeah, but but this has been out for... When was the the most recent one? Was it Apt People or was it Shawshank? I want to look this up. Yeah, I don't know which one came Uh, first. 1986 was Stand By Me, Apt People was 1998, and Shawshank was 1994. So the most recent adaptation was, like, just over 20 years ago. Like, that's yeah. reasonable. <laughs> like, I think you can tell from the fact that, like, these three were adapted, like, so long ago when this came out in 19... 19- and, like, the breathing method has been, like, sitting there for yeah. decades. And, and like, no one has touched it. We're in our, like, Stephen King resurgence in TV and yeah. film, I feel. So, like, everyone's yeah, kind are. of looking for, like, what hasn't been done? 
Or what was done really badly. Yeah, like, let's just... All of them. Almost all of them. It's taken, so, like, what else is there? Yeah. Oh, this would never have an adaptation? Let's look into it. It's like, okay. There's a reason. There's a reason it was never adapted. I think it's also, like, it really is, like, a winter's tale. I think they also draw a distinction in the story between, like, stories and tales. And I think that the others, you know, not to, like tweak my English nerd pedantic glasses too hard on my nose, but, like, I think that there is a worthy distinction between... There is a line drawn between, like, stories and tales, and a tale is something like this. It's it's kind of just what it appears to be, and there's not a lot to it. There's not a lot going on in it beyond the events of the story. I just don't think everything needs to be adapted. I think we're good Agreed. with this. We're good. We're done. Agreed. It's fine. You're not gonna get another it like out of nowhere. If it was worth adapting, or not worth, but if it could be adapted well at this point in his very long career, it would have been. Somebody would have at least tried it. Yeah. Except for perhaps like some of his more recent works, right? Like there's a hasn't yeah. been time. But this came out in nineteen eighty two any any adaptation would try to like get into like well what is it about the club what is mm-hmm. the secret what what are the exits and that yeah. would just end up being bad um so yeah i would say read this read the whole as we've covered you can read the whole book yeah um, I, you can skip at people yeah you can skip that but this one is like easy breezy beautiful yeah it's nice book. it is very like i wish i was by a fireplace while i read it I would also say my recommendations would be, like, any gothic mystery, romance, book, whatever. Um, but probably, like, I think Wuthering Heights would do you nicely. It's a spooky um, one. It has, it has frame stories. It has characters telling you about things that happened. It has, like, spooky ghosts. Because um, that's what I was, like, I was reading this, and I was like, this feels very gothic in tone. Like, the mysterious dark shadows at the corners of the library and stuff. If you want to watch a gothic romance, watch Crimson Peak. That movie fucks. I mean, that's how I feel about Guillermo del Toro in general. Um, <laughs> he but does I told fuck. my Listen, I told my, I told my uh, future screenwriting professor, I was like, if I, this is how I would rank the three amigos of uh, Mexican cinema, which I've told Lily this before, and I'm sure I've told the podcast this before, but I think it's funny, so I'm going to say it again. Just like, and you are too, like, fine, kind of pretentious. I can enjoy it. I can take or, take it or leave it. Uh, Kieran, like, I don't know. He's got some stuff going on. Like, a little bit sexy, I guess. He's fine. Uh, but Guillermo fucks. He does. And my professor pointed out, he was like, you know, if you ever meet him, like, you need to tell him that because he will find it hilarious. And I was like, you know, he really would. I love it. I love it. If you want to watch a gothic romance... Crimson Peak. If you want to read one, I would recommend Wuthering Heights. Um, it's a classic for a reason. Uh, similarly, I would recommend reading some good old-fashioned Sherlock Holmes. Crazy motherfucker, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. Sure. That indeed. That fairy believing motherfucker. Oh my god, that's uh, my favorite fact. He was like, he wrote these stories about this like detective that solved mysteries and in many cases proved that like supernatural things were not real and yet he was also like so fairies right you saw you saw some there's fairies, a picture like... of them that can't be fake it's so mm-hmm. funny but yeah this reminded me a lot of like a story that would be told 
to Sherlock Holmes in the beginning of a story, mm. and then he would yeah. be like, that ain't it, Chief. <laughs> yeah, this is like... <laughs> the answer is actually this. There's, oh, there's a spooky, there's a spooky monster dog, like, wandering across the moors at night, and it glows, like, mm, nah, brah. That ain't it. Uh, it just, it had the same kind of, like, tone and vibe, especially, like, mm-hmm. the dark wood paneling of the club, oh, yeah. and the cigars, and the guys, like. Also, Sherlock Holmes, they're good. Like, they are. They are. They hold up. They're still really good. Uh, don't watch Sherlock. Don't Popular do it. Adaptation. You want to watch an adaptation? Watch Elementary. But anyway. Um, um, what are we reading next? We are reading Christine, I think. I think we're reading Christine. Or The Running Man. Yes, it's The Running Man. All right. Next so, time, we'll join be reading us next time. The Running Man. Which is Bachman's other dystopian contest uh, competition show. I'm really, I'm excited. You know, sometimes a a little Bachman break, it's nice to break up all the the Mm -hmm. novellas. Mm -hmm. I won't be excited when we record, I bet. Probably not. (laughs) I'll probably be like, fuck you passing me for being excited. How could you think? It'll be great. It'll be really fun. Bachman books yes. are always so much fun. They're always something. They are always there. <laughs> Bachman is there. <laughs> anyway, um, yeah, if you, this has been our show, Listen to Steven, Steven, Listen. Um, if you liked us, please rate us and also leave us a review on iTunes so people can find us and we can grow the show. Uh, you can follow the show on Twitter at listen underscore Steven. You can send us emails uh, to listenstevenpod at gmail.com. You can support the show at patreon.com slash listensteven. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at whattofoxtrot, W-H-A-T-T-E-H-F-O-X-T-R-O-T. Um, thank you to Lena Orsa for our intro and outro music. And yeah, we'll be back with some Bachman in two weeks. More like rock man, because it's gonna rock. No, mm, no. Bye.